But listen, I'm glad you're here. We wrapped up our series called Move from a Moment to a Movement. Say it with me, from a to a last week. And man, you guys, uh, I'm telling you, I've been moved all over because of this, because the Holy Spirit spoke to me and just kind of moved me in this direction. And your response uh, last Sunday has moved my heart, touched my heart. I ask you to join me in a ridiculous goal. Do you remember this? We're going to do all this work across North Alabama and Uganda. Crazy goal. And to do it, we're going to need to raise above our normal giving over three years, $5 million. That's the ridiculous goal that we made. And, and I ask you guys to um, like fill out these cards here, this commitment card, and, and, and you guys just were so generous, faithful, really. You, you stretched yourself. You put some big numbers on here. We started with our first big offering. It was huge. I would love to tell you what those numbers are, and I'm going to next Sunday. All right, and, and here's why, because we have a lot of folks, actually some folks told me, called me, said I couldn't make it, I'm going to turn in my card this week. So we put these in the worship guide one more time in case you couldn't make it last week, you weren't prepared to fill out your card and you want to be a part of that, you can do that. Um, there are these brochures out in the lobby. If you want to know more about what the MOVE campaign is all about, they're free, just pick that up. And uh, if you give to MOVE today, we're going to still call that first fruits. And next Sunday, uh, we're calling Reveal Sunday, and we're just going to reveal how generous and, and faithful you guys have been. I'm just going to tell you, you guys have stirred my faith. It's the most generous moment our church has ever had, and it's a beginning of a movement, all right? So I can't wait to tell you, everybody be here next Sunday. We're going to tell you where we are. And uh, man, it just feels good to be a part of something that's changing the world. I don't want to be a part of something that pulls a C minus, right? I want to pull an A+. I want to do everything that we, a faith family, can do. And I just appreciate you guys are on board and and you're jumping on board with us. Now, in that that, uh, effort, one one of the things that just kept stirring over in my heart as I prayed and thought about this campaign that we're in was 100% participation. Uh, That we would get there if everybody did their part. Not a few people with a lot of money doing their part, but everybody finding out, like, what is my part? And in that same vein... Um, one of our college students was uh, just in Daystar College was just kind of sharing her, you know, uh, testimony of what, what's worked out for her. And so Pastor Derek grabbed his, quickly grabbed a camera or his phone, I don't even know what he filmed it with, and just filmed her testimony. It's just a couple minutes. I want to show you the spirit that even some of our students are catching on to. So take a look at this video of Tess sharing her testimony. I just moved out into my little house and... My parents were not kidding when they said the bills, they pile up. And right. I really felt like God wanted me to give to move, but I was trying to figure out like, what, what I offering. could do. do yeah, I, the first fruits Yes, yes. I was like, okay, what, what can I do? And that was my first mistake. I was thinking, what can I do? I wasn't thinking like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? What can you do through me in this event? And um, so I was praying about what I could give, and I decided on a number, and I was like, okay, this is it. This is what I can give. And God was like, hey, you can do that but you're going to reap what you sow. And if you're sowing what you can do, then you're going to reap what you can do. You're not going to get what I can do and the big dreams that you have for your life. You're not going to get that out of this. And I was like, ooh, okay, God, that's good. I was like, I want what you can do in my life. And I was like, okay, so what's, what's my number? What, what can I do for this event? And his number was five times larger than what wow, mine was. And I was good. like, uh, God, did you forget that like I'm a college student? I just moved down, and I started naming all the reasons why I couldn't give that. And then I was like, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to be happy and joyful about it. 
And so I was like, okay, I'm doing it. This is what I'm giving. And I did my commitment card and I put it in the bucket and I was like, I was all excited about it. And the next day I go home and if you know me, you know I love to eat. Yeah. And <laughs> I started making dinner and I was like, this is all great. And I was talking to God about the move, what he was doing, and I'm making dinner and my stove goes out. I was like, oh no, no Satan, no, no. <laughs> I was like, no, we're not doing that. But I was like, you know what? The devil fights what he's afraid of, so bring it on. And then the next day I go to get in the shower and I got shampoo in my hair and I hear ch -ch, and I was like, that's not good, that's not normal, and my water goes out. I was like, no, <laughs> not today. And turns out my basement flooded. I was like, yeah, this is all. Go, go God, yay, yeah. <laughs> this is great. But that's where I'm at right now. I was just like, you know what, I'm not gonna focus on that. I'm gonna focus on what's good. Because God. God's gonna be faithful. God, God is bigger than anything the devil can bring against you. feel like me. you're on the right track? Yes, absolutely. Hey, y'all give Tess a big hand for that testimony. I like her spirit, you know. I don't want to give what I can do because I don't want to reap a reward on me. I want to do, give what God can do so I can reap his reward. And then when my stove and my water goes out, I'm going to trust God anyways. That, you know, that really is what the journey is like. When you do something big for God, there's always some kind of opposition. And so I just want to challenge you. We are in this together. Can I get an amen? All right, so listen, y'all, I've been working and thinking about, like, what's next? What is God saying to us now? Uh, we're done with this, this, this series, and uh, this, I had the hardest time this week to, to really hear from God. In fact, if you look in your worship guide where you normally have detailed notes, you have blank lines because I just could not pull the trigger uh, while our volunteers were there to stuff the worship guides with what I wanted to speak on. Now, I know where I'm going today. In fact, if you want to write this down, the title of the message, if you're taking notes, just write it at the top. When God shows up, when God shows up, there was a little kindergarten class, and they were all in coloring time at school, and they were doing their just like free, free drawing and coloring time, art time. And uh, this teacher comes by, and she sees this girl. She is feverishly drawing and coloring, and the teacher says, what are you drawing? She says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher goes, well, I don't think you can do that because nobody knows what God looks like. And the girl said, well... They will in just a minute. I like that faith, don't you? <laughs> Apparently God is showing up in that girl's life and she was going to show everybody else. I want to talk to you about what happens when God shows up in your life. See, when you read the Bible and you get all these stories, Jesus is walking and talking, people are hearing his teaching, they're arguing, is he a rabbi, is he a prophet, is he the Messiah? And then all of a sudden, normal becomes abnormal and dead people come back to life. Blind eyes are open. Lame people who have never walked stand up and walk. And we know this is the Son of God. Miracles happen. And I just want to suggest to you a couple things. That miracles, that, that's normal for Jesus. It's as normal for Jesus to do a miracle as it is for you to breathe in oxygen. Everybody do this with me right now. Everybody get ready to take in a big breath on the count of three. One, two, three. Did you do it? I hope no one smells near you. Do it again. One, two, three. See how easy and simple it was for you to breathe? Like That's how easy it is for Jesus to do a miracle. In fact, I would suggest that it's easier for Jesus to do a miracle than it is for him to find someone ready to receive the miracle. 
getting us to the place. In fact, John, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four gospels. These are four men who spent their time with Jesus, four of Jesus' disciples. They wrote down what they saw. John, after writing all the miracles down that he had seen Jesus do, John wrote these words, the last words in John's gospel, John 21 and 25. He just went on and said, Jesus did many other things as well. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. He says, Jesus does miracles all the time, and he did so many miracles, I couldn't even write them all down. I want to walk you through one of those miracles that I find amazing. And, and not only, of course, Jesus does miracles, and he's amazing, but the guy in the story takes some steps to step into his miracle that I think you can take to step into your miracle. And before I even get into this, can I just challenge you to believe for miracles? Can I just ask you right now out loud, do you believe Jesus still does miracles? See, because I want to I just establish what my theology is about the miracle power of Jesus, that Jesus said, I'm going to go away. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to always walk on the earth. I'm going to go away to be with the Father. And when I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. And the same things that I have done, you will do those same things. And you will do greater things than this because the Holy Spirit comes to dwell among you. See, and because the Holy Spirit is here, here's what I believe. This is my theology in, in, a, in a nutshell. That anything God has ever done any time, he can do now. Are you with me? And that anything God ever did anywhere, he can do here. And anything God ever did for anyone, he can do for you. Can I get an amen on all that? That, that this is who God is, this is what he does. It's as natural doing a miracle, it's as natural for him as breathing is for you. And if all that is true, then I want you to start right now, be thinking, what is it that I need God to do in my life that no one else could do? What is it that money can't solve for me? What is it that doctors can't solve for me, that I can't solve for me? Only God could do. And, and, and while you're thinking about that, let me walk you through this story. Uh, this story is found in Mark chapter 10, and uh, starting in verse number 46. Now they came to Jericho, Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus went out of Jericho with his disciples in a great multitude and blind Bartimaeus. Everybody say blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more. One translation says he cried out even louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood, and stood still and commanded him to be called. And then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, just take off walking. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Can everybody say, Wow? I talked to a man in the early, right after the early service who had lost his vision and got his sight back. 
And that's two people in this church that that's happened to, by the way. I had never even heard this other man's story. That, that, that seems to read it in the scripture. Seems like, yeah, I kind of knew where it was going. Spoiler alert. If, if it's about Jesus, it's probably going to turn out pretty good, you know. But just stop and think about an actual blind person who's never seen anything in his life, and it all changed in that moment. And I want to suggest to you, God showed up that day, and God is still showing up. He still does miracles. In fact, I want you to write these things down, things you can do, the works you can see happen in your life. Now, listen, you got to work a little bit, okay, because I didn't write all the stuff in. You don't have to just fill in the blanks. you got to write big sentences here. So write this down if you're taking notes. Number one, God shows up when you know you need him. God shows up when you know you need him. Now, there were a lot of sick and hurting people there that day, only one that we read about got his miracle because he knew he needed him. Now, this story is a story about a blind man physically, but it's also about spiritual blindness. There were people all over that day, and there are people of this day, we don't know how badly we need him. In fact, the Bible says about us in Revelation 3 and 17, you say you're rich. You say, I'm rich, and I've acquired great wealth, and I don't need a thing. But God says, I see you differently. What you don't realize is that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. People think because I've got a good job and I'm making good money and I've got nice possessions and nice clothes, everything's going great with me. Everything looks good on the outside. Everything's going great. And God says, no, I see deep into the spirit and you need God. How many would agree with me and say, I need him? I mean, more than I need anything else in my life. The apostle Paul talked about this. He said in 2 Corinthians 4, that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see. We're unable to see how badly we need him. And so I would just say this, for God to show up in our lives, we have to know how much we need him. Y'all, I've been in church so long, I don't remember not going to church. I don't even remember the first time I prayed the sinner's prayer. But I have a vivid memory of my mother kneeling us down by the bed, my sister and me, and praying with us. And I remember, I was probably about seven years old, the first time I felt like, I felt God, you know, like it was beyond human touch that, that God was touching me. I remember that. And, and then I grew up in church and I became a preacher when I was a teenager. You know, just as a child, I was, I was preaching already. I have pastored people for a long, I mean, very clearly from a ten, time, I, it's been at least 10 years since I was a teenager. Clearly, it's been doing this a long time, preaching the gospel, going a long time. But can I tell you this? I mean this with everything inside of me. I believe that I need him more today than I did ever in my life. Today I need him. I mean, I've got decisions tomorrow that are going to creep up. I want to know that I heard him. I don't want to drive home without knowing he's in the car with me. I know I need him. I'm not trying to be some false humility. I'm telling you the truth. I don't want to go a moment without him. And church, that's where it begins. That's where your miracle begins, is when you know you don't need a few things tweaked in your life. You don't need a new self-help book or another book that will give you a, a few more keys. You don't just need somebody giving you a, a religious platitude, but you need God to show up in your life, embrace you with his presence, and change everything. Come on, if you know what I'm talking about. I need him. That's where it begins, saying, I need him. And, and that's the first thing Bartimaeus knew. Everybody else was letting him pass by. Bartimaeus is like, he may be going by. He's got, he's got a whole trove of people around him. I'm just a blind dude sitting on the side, but I'm not letting Jesus pass me by. I'm going to get loud, and I'm going to get louder, 
In fact, that's the second point. When God shows up, you got or, or God shows up when you cry out in faith. Write that down. God shows up when you cry out in faith. Bartimaeus was like, I'm not letting him pass. I'm going to get loud. Verse 47, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David. Why did he call him son of David? See, that was a big deal. Son of David in the ancient uh, Jewish text was the title of the Messiah. What he was saying is, I know who you are. You are the Messiah. There was a lot of uncertainty going on around that day. Some people thought Jesus might be a prophet or a priest or you know, just some kind of a preacher. Some thought he was a military revolutionary. But a few people were circulating a rumor that maybe he was the Messiah. And I like what Bartimaeus did. Bartimaeus just stepped up and said, I'm not going to dance around the issue. I know who you are. You're the Messiah. It reminds me of today. Can I tell you why the American church has grown impotent in our community, weak and unable to reach people? Because we're trying to be politically correct. We're trying to play games with people. Oh, I don't want to offend this group, and I don't want to say that Jesus is the only way and offend that group. And so we have these weak need sermons and weak prayers about, oh, gracious Heavenly Father, and we don't name our God. Let me tell you what. I know who saved me from sin. I know who my God is. He has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ the only son of the only God. You, you, listen, if you want to be religious, you get some kind of man-made little anesthetized version of this Bible if you want to. I care nothing. I care not less than nothing about religion. I don't need religion. I need a savior. I need power. I need the anointing of God in my life. And I'm going to call him by who he is. He's Jesus, the only son of God. This is what Bartimaeus is doing. He's one of the first people who acknowledged, I know who you are. And the Bible would later tell us in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that salvation, rescue, healing, hope, that's what that word means. Salvation is found in no one else but Jesus Christ. For there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Bartimaeus said, I don't think you're a carpenter. I don't think you're a revolutionary. I don't think you're a prophet. I know who you are. You're the son of God. See, if you're going to have a miracle in your life, you've got to have that moment of faith where you go, you're my only hope, God. Not you plus other things. Not you plus, you know, advancement in my career. Not you plus people liking me. Not you plus religion. Just you. And I've got to have just you. So, so you, you want to see a miracle in your life. God shows up. When we know we need him and when we cry out in faith, here's the third thing. God shows up. Write this down. When you don't give up. God shows up when you don't give up. People think that miracles happen. And, and, and I guess there, you know, God, God's the arbiter of his miracles. He can do what he wants to. When I read scripture, man, people have done a lot of things to get to the right place for that miracle. You don't just randomly fall into a miracle most of the time. Healing. The restoration of, of, of someone's joy or peace, you know, that, that, that a physical healing in their body, a financial breakthrough. Usually a person has done some right things and they decided not to give up. Now, Mark uh, tells us that they rebuked him and said, don't say that. He, you're, you're causing a distraction. You're a blind beggar. You're supposed to just let this thing pass by. Here's what you're supposed to He's wearing a jacket that is a beggar's cloth. 
And it's sort of the social security of the day that people who were blind or indigent would sit by the roadside. They would wear that jacket that looked like a a beggar's cloth. They would hold their cup and they would ask for gifts. and, And everyone would pitch in just a little bit and keep them alive. And what they were saying to Bartimaeus is, hey, you need to know your place. This is who you are. You're poor, you're wretched, you're, you're, you're blind, you don't have anything else. Don't interrupt this nice procession through our town. This is a big deal. You stay in your place. And Bartimaeus refused to stay in his place. He said, you know what? I'm not going to give up because you think, you think I'm supposed to be this and this is all I can be. Something inside Bartimaeus said, no, you were meant for more than that. And let me tell you, for you to step into your miracle, sometimes there's got to be something in your heart that says, this is not all I can be. I know I'm not in pride or in my ability going to step out of this, but in faith, I'm going to keep crying out. I'm going to keep, and Bartimaeus just, the Bible says he just cried out louder. And I want to tell you, if you walk with God regularly, you're going to have to have a moment where you cry out louder. People tell you to hush. People tell you you're some kind of a hypocrite. Who do you think you are? You've got to turn a deaf ear to all the critics and decide, I'm going to be who God said I'm going to be if nobody else goes there with me. Come on, everybody say, just me and God. Sometimes it's just you and God. Somebody else, the closest, I'm tell, let me talk to men who have been, you know, a jerk. Come on. It's our birthright. Men are going to be a jerk at some point. Can I hear an amen? Why did that sound more female than male when I got that amen? Well, you've been a jerk. Now you want to be a Christian. You want to be the leader of your home. You want to get your family up and bring them to the house of God. You want to lift up your hands. You want to worship God. And that voice in the back of your mind says, here's your wife over here. She knows you're not all this perfect holy guy. Or here's that neighbor across town. And he, you know what? All that, you got to close all that junk out and realize I am not here to impress anybody up to and including my own family. I'm here for you, God. I want you to do something in my life. And Lord, I need you more than I need their opinion. This is what Bartimaeus had gotten to that point where he just didn't care. He says, I'm getting to where Jesus is. And let me tell you, there is something about you getting to where Jesus is. And it's worth it all. When I was a boy, man, every time the altar was open for prayer, I would come up. Now, I usually didn't even know what the altar was about because I wasn't paying attention. I'm sitting in the back, you know. We were trading girlfriends all the time, you know. You know what I'm talking about? It's about 20 kids in the whole church, and that, she'd be my girlfriend a while, and, and then I'd trade with my cousin, and I'd have his girlfriend here. we sit back there writing little notes on each other's palm. Don't be doing that in the house of God, you teenagers. But that's just what it was. It's boring. We didn't like the music. It was, took four hours for church to be over. I just wanted to get out of there. But somehow, when that music would start playing at the end, and that preacher would close out like he did back in the day, I'd just come to the altar, man. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know why I was coming. I didn't even know what I was confessing to. Wasn't these nice little altar calls like we give today. It was like, if you've been blah, 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 and you've been blah, blah, you come up here. Here comes that Lawson kid again. My God. (laughs) I wasn't even paying attention, but something was drawing my heart, man. Let me tell you. Can I tell you something, parents? This this is going to be controversial because sometimes we have to hear stuff that we don't want to hear. We want to give our kids the best. I know it. I'm a parent, too. I want my kids to have the best. I want to give them the best opportunities. That includes education and college and sports and athletics and and, and finances and things like that. I want to tell you, sometimes we take away the best and we trade it for second best. Let me tell you what the best is. You want to really give your kids the best? Make it very clear to your family that we worship God on the first day of the week. God is first in our life doesn't matter what else is going on. Nothing takes the place. We're not going to get up on Sunday and wonder, well, what are we going to do today? No, 
We are children of God. We might do other stuff on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, but we are children of God. We're going to be in the house of God on the Lord's day. Now, not out of religion, not out of, well, the preacher noticed that. That is the wrong approach altogether. But because in the house of God, the Spirit of God moves. And something's going to touch. I know it. I grew up in it, man. I didn't like my church. I didn't want to be there. But something would touch my heart time after time after time. And it has drawn me to God. And that God has made me the man I am today. My little boy, six-year-old boy, is sitting in class today. He's probably coming to all three services today, right? It's okay. He needs four or five. So we're glad for the three. He's sitting back there a few months ago and, and, and in his little class, and he decides this little girl is going to be his girlfriend. He leans over and tries to hug her and kiss her. Nobody call the police now. We're still children. He's going to kiss her, and, and the teacher says, that can't be your girlfriend, Bryant. You can't kiss that girl. She turns her back. He leans over again, tries to hug her and kiss her. Bryant, that's not your girlfriend. You can't kiss her. Bryant leans up, and he says, hey, my daddy runs this place. I can do whatever I want to do. <laughs> We had a long talk about that, I'm going to tell you. I raised two girls. They never acted like that, y'all. Boys are defective. Can I get an amen? Woo! What is wrong with these boys? But I want that boy in the house of God. You hear me? I want him every single time there's an opportunity to be in God. I grew up, we'd go on vacation from Monday to Saturday. We'd be back for church, and we'd find church somewhere on Wednesday night. I know it's a different world. I know it's a different time. I don't mean for this to be legalistic at all. I want this to be optimistic, that this next time that we're in the house of God, God's going to speak to me. This next time that we're at student service on Wednesday night, God's going to speak to my teenager. This next time I hand my kid over to the nursery, God's going to do something unseen, unspoken, invisible, but in the heart of my... Let me tell you, the baby beds in those nurseries are the most blessed baby beds in the world because they are dedicated to God. My kids are blessed just because they're in the building. Here's what I believe, that when we gather, yeah, this is just brick and mortar. It could be any building that it wants to be. In fact, in our Madison campus, it's going to be a school in the morning, all right? That's all it is. But today, we have said, this is the Lord's day. I will rejoice and be glad in it. We have gathered together. We have lifted up worship to God, and God, the Bible says, comes in the building when we ask Him to, and we worship him, and this is a place where things can change for us. Somebody give him praise if it's ever changed for you. Something big has happened. So I don't want to miss it. I want to be there. God shows up when you keep going. You don't give up. You know you need him. You cry out to him. When they tell you to shut up crying out, you keep crying out because you know you need him. And let me tell you this last thing in closing. This is not really a step. I kind of gave you my three steps. This is sort of my observation. Number four, if you're taking notes, when God shows up, God shows out. Come on, y'all. Am I right? Has God ever done something that just blew your mind? You just couldn't believe God could do that amazing thing. I promise you, this blew a lot of people's minds. Verse 50, Bartimaeus threw aside his garment and he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to receive my sight. And then Jesus said, go your way. It's already done. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight.
and he followed Jesus on the road. You know what the ancients called Jesus? El, or God, called God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Called him El Shaddai. El, God, Shaddai, more than enough. El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. See, our problem is we think we serve El Getby instead of El Shaddai. We're praying for little things. We're just going to try to get by. I'm going to go to church. I had a bad week. I used some ugly language. I did some things I shouldn't have done. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to make it all right. I'm going to go back and try it again next week. I'm going to get by. El get by. You up here raising and praising El get by. I wish you'd start serving El Shaddai. He can change you. Change your circumstances. Change the people around you. Change how you feel. Change what you see. He changed literally eyes in Bartimaeus' head. And this change was so powerful because Bartimaeus, Bar is a, a prefix to a name, and it means son of. Bar, Timaeus. Remember what his father's name was? Timaeus. It says Bar, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Timaeus, they named him Bar Timaeus because he was just like his father. His father was blind. Bartimaeus was also blind. They probably had the same genetic disorder. Their eyes wouldn't work. They couldn't see. And so I can guarantee you that Timaeus had the same beggar's cloth, sat on the same road, held the same little cup, and begged for survival his whole life. And so what does his son do? Steps right into that same place. Now, I don't know what you call that, but I call it a generational curse. What, to live that way your whole life and then watch the next generation live just that way. And a lot of people live in that same kind of a curse mentality today. Uh, you know, I struggle with alcohol. My dad struggled with alcohol. That's just kind of the way we are. But, you know, i got anger problems, but that kind of goes with this family. We all lose our temper. We love each other. Somebody has to call 911 every now and then, but we love each other, right? God stepped into the middle of this curse and said, no more. And he broke that curse. In fact, the Bible says this in Isaiah 10 and 27. It says that this yoke, this thing that binds you, will be destroyed because of the anointing. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he ever stepped into anybody's life and anybody's heritage and said, nope, no more with you. With you, everything's going to change. Then God can step into your life today and change everything. Can I get an amen? Let me give you a little piece of hidden wisdom in this story. You don't notice this. We, we, we read this story quickly and kind of in our mind we recapture it as Bartimaeus did the bold and courageous thing. He cried out to Jesus. Jesus healed him. He gets up, throws off that old garment, follows Jesus. That's actually not the way it happened. The garment, which was his meal ticket, you know, it's his beggar's cloth. It's what said, give me some money so I can survive. If you go back and read it in verse 50, it says he threw it off before he ever got a miracle. He threw it off and came to Jesus. Jesus had given him nothing. Jesus called him just like Jesus has called all of us, right? He called him. And, and, and all he did was he said, okay, I'm leaving everything I've got behind. I'm leaving this cup. I'm leaving this meal ticket. I'm leaving my location. I'm going to where you are. I don't even know how to get to where you are. I'm as blind as a bat. And in faith, I'm going to start walking towards you. Can I suggest to you that is the missing component for many of us? We got to take a step of faith. Some of you took a big step of faith. 
generosity-wise. You became a tither or you gave to the Move campaign or you made a commitment. Some of you take a step of faith by sharing your faith with others, and that's, that's a bold and courageous thing to do. Some of you serve in some capacity. Some of you need to take a step of faith and just believe that God would forgive you. You could leave your past and really believe. Some of you, you know, you believe that there's a ceiling or a lid over you. You hear about how I was raised and hear about my family. And, well, that was great, but man, when I was seven, when I was 17, my dad was a drug addict or whatever. And so you've got some kind of an artificial lid over what you can do. Let me tell you, your step of faith toward God is to blow that lid away. Just believe, man, the sky's the limit. There's anything can happen in God's presence. There is no limit to where God can take me. Bartimaeus said, I'm tired of just surviving. I'm going to go beyond that. I'm going to get into his presence. I believe today. Everybody say with me today. I really believe God circled today to do a miracle for somebody. I fully expect before the sun goes down, somebody to hit me up on Facebook and say, this has changed in my life. This has happened. We're going to have a moment in prayer. I'm going to pray for miracles in your life in just a minute. But I think the first and most important miracle is for you to walk away from shame. Walk out of guilt. That feeling that I'm here today to just kind of, you know, feel better about myself. I'm just kind of here to sort of undo the mistakes of my past. That is not what walking with Jesus is about. He eradicates that shame. He heals that addiction, that brokenness inside of us that holds us back.